This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parshtach Ramos 5782, Perak Tess Zion, Pasuk Here's what the Pasuk says. Now, Again, this is after we go through the entire Avoda of Yom Kippur. Achremos in the beginning, the first three aliyahs, is really all about the Avoda of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. And it says in Pasuk Haftes, This will be for you a law forever. In the seventh month on the tenth of the month. The seventh month is Tishrei. The tenth of the month is obviously the tenth of Tishrei. That's Yom Kippur. That's when you afflict your souls. You can't do any work. Both citizens and the strangers living among you. Now, there's a lot of different diukim that people make in this Pusik. Some things we're not going to concentrate on this year. For example, that idea of Ezrach, that Geragor Basochem, what exactly does that refer to? I'll say one little thing about that in the middle, but I'm not really going to refer to that. What I really want to concentrate on is the inisem esnaf shosechem, te'anu esnaf shosechem. What is the mitzvah of inoi hanefesh? So Targum Yonason says there are five inuyim that are included in this Pasuk that we're not allowed to do on Yom Kippur. There's eating and drinking. We all know eating and drinking. That's obvious in and of itself. Relationships with wives. Anointing oneself. That means like putting on deodorant, etc. Washing oneself and wearing leather shoes. All of those are included in the five inuyim, the five things that are absolutely awesome. Rabbeinu Yoel and the Rokeach, both Rishonim, they say that the word nafsho seichem appears twice in Parshach Ramos. Twice in Achremos, twice in Emor, and once in Pinchas. Altogether, five times. So nafsho seichem refers to the five things that we're not allowed to do on Yom Kippur, and that's cute, the nafsho seichem is there, right, to refer to that. There's a question among the Rishonim whether these inuyim are, are forbidden midio raisa or midorabanan. Are they an Isser deal rice to do all these things, or they're just the Rabbanan? Torah Tamima says, it makes sense that there would only be Midorabbanan. Why would it make more sense? Because the Gemara says about these five, Hani Keneged Mi. What are these five Keneged? That's sort of like saying, right, instead of saying, Mi no Hani Mili, where do we know this from? Or, Mi Nale, where do we get it from? It's sort of like saying, I know they're not from the Torah, but what are they Keneged? What did the rabbis decide they wanted these five for? That was the concept, right, that they brought up over here. It's not a great Raya. 39 Malachos on Shabbos. Are those Asr Midio Reiser or Durabanan? What do you guys say? They're for sure deal right, so right? There's no question. You're high of Misa. You're high of Misa for them. There's no question about that, right? And yet, the Gemara says about them, Hani Kineged Mi, why are there 39? It says, what are they connected? Why are they, what are they opposite? The idea behind it. So it makes, you could say that it's still deal right, so, but the Torah Tamima says that's an idea. The Ramban, in his first Shoresh, in Sefer HaMitzvah, seems to indicate that it's Durabanan. However, the Yushalmi in Yuma, it's in Parakas Halacha Aleph, the very beginning of the 8th Parak, says, eating and drinking on Yom Kippur is Chayev Kares. And we all know that, but that's straight out, not the other four. And therefore, it could be that there's a difference between the, the, the five Inuyim. Eating and drinking is one thing, the other four might only be Durabanan. But it's a question, that's a bit of a question. The Partizios asks a great question. He says, What's, why don't we eat a kezayis of bread of Lecha Mishnah if Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos? Now think about this for a second. If Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, right? If Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, that means you have a chiyuv to eat a meal on Shabbos. 
but you also have a mitzvah to fast on Yom Kippur. Obviously, those two can't coincide with one another. So we got a problem. What should we do in that case? So we ask, I don't understand. The chiv on Yom Kippur is koseves agasa, the amount of a large date. The amount you're chayiv to eat on Shabbos for Lecha Mishnah is a kezayis, just a kezayis. A kezayis is a third, a half, maybe even a quarter of the size of a Kesevis Agasa. So he asks the question, he says, I don't understand. Why can't you be Yotze, your Lechem Mishnah, if Yom Kippur falls out on Shabbos, by eating a Kesevis of bread, because you're not Chayiv on Yom Kippur until you have the amount of Kesevis Agasa. So then you should be fine. There's no Easter. And if you say, well, Chatsi Shir, right? You can't do something that's Chatsi Shir. You can't be over on something if it's not the exact Shir. It's only half of the Shir. That's still Easter. That's still going to be Easter itself. Why wouldn't we be able to say that to be Makayim a mitzvah Asay of a Karasal Shabbos Oneg, you could be Mavatol a Durabanan of Chatsi Shir? Now, the Rabban holds Chatsi Shir is also mean a Torah. But either way, why can't you do that? Now, we can't, and everybody knows that. When Yom Kippur falls on Shabbos, nobody eats. Everybody agrees with that. that that's, not a, that's not a question. But it's a problem why. And you can see there, the party Joseph has about five or six answers as to how you can answer that question, but it's a question of itself. And one other thing, in one this, Rebbe Chanan Wasserman wonders, he says, when you have the mitzvah of ta'anu as nafshaseichem, that's mitzvah of afflicting yourself, so to speak, you can learn it, you can understand it in two different ways. Either being mevatel the inui is the gufa iser. You can't be over an inui. You have to be ma'ana yourself. You have to afflict yourself. If you eat, you're not being ma'ana yourself. So that is the iser, being over on the inui itself. Or it's just a yalfusa. It's being learned from these ideas of what Yom Kippur is all about. It's usher to eat on Yom Kippur because obviously it's forbidden to eat. It's not just because you're mevatel the mitzvah of Inui. But it's already a question, like what exactly would that be? And that goes into the idea of whether it's Dil Raisid Rabban. And that's an interesting Rebbe Khan Wasman. Okay, let's go on. Okay, now we're going to go into the ideas. The Ibn Ezra says that we know that Inui is the opposite of Tanuk. Tanug is pleasure. Inui is afflicting oneself and hurting oneself. We know that. We understand from a Pasuk in Yeshaya, it's Yeshaya, Nun He Gimel, that Tanug is a form of fattening yourself with goodness, with great things and on. That's Oneg. That's what Oneg is. Oneg Shabbos is having something you wouldn't normally have during the week. That's, a, that's what it refers to. So it seemed that Inui... Inui, when we're being ma'an ourselves, it means to stay away from good things, which would be interesting, right? If I tell you, it would be interesting if I said, stay away from snacks. You can have regular meals, but stay away from snacks. We know that's not what it means. But if it's the opposite of oneg, then it should be your ma'an yourself by not having something great. Our Kabbalah, which means our Mesorah, has gone through that Yom Kippur is a day of fasting, and we fast completely. There are psukim that seem to indicate that Inui might refer to fasting, but nothing is great. That he afflicted you and he made you hungry. That sounds like afflicting somebody has to do with hunger. Maybe Tehillim, Tarek Lamed, Hey, Pasuk Yud Gimel. But there's no great ideas because over there in Tehillim it says, Inisi Bitsom Nafshi. I afflicted you with a fast. It sounds like uh, Inisi is not fasting because it had to add on the word Tzom. So we don't have any great rayas. But says Ibn Ezra, we know it's true because that's what Chazal told us. And we have that throughout our, you know, the generations. It's been 3,300 years. We've all been fasting. So we fast. But says Ibn Ezra, from the Pusik itself, I don't know if you can really tell. I am positive. I am sure there were people in the Ibn Ezra's time 
the Ibn Ezra lived in the, I think it was the 1100s. Somebody would have to correct me on this. I'm not positive. If he lived in the 1100s or the late thousands, I'm not sure exactly. But I'm positive there were people in his time who were saying, you don't have to fast on Yom Kippur. And because they were saying that, because they looked at the Pasuk, and the Pasuk doesn't say that you have to fast. It says, afflict your soul. So they said, if it doesn't have, you don't have to fast. So they were going around. So Ibn Ezra was trying to show them, no, it still means fast, even though it doesn't sound that way. The Ramban says those people were Karayim, Karites, right? Karites, the Karites that lived at the time and still live today. You know, there are some people today. I once had in my yeshiva program, when I was back at the Dasi Shurim before I joined Skoki Yeshiva, I had a guy that came in one day, he was starting to learn, and he had never learned Gemara before, so it's not that big of a deal. So we started teaching him. I gave him a Chavruso. We were like wor- working it out. And then a couple days later, he told me, um, he, we were talking about Shabbos for some reason. And he said, oh, I don't do that. I have like two candles and we put it in certain places, but then we put it out right before Shabbos. I'm like, are you a Karite? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> he was literally a Karite who went to UIC, right? And he was a regular kid. He grew up going to a public, a public school, etc. But his parents were Karite and their Shabbos is totally different. All cold food. They do not use electricity. They have candles that they put out before Shabbos starts. They light them and then they put them out. Like in Uki Yosef and Baba Kamachavvez. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Right? They go on, etc. about what it is. Either way, regardless, those people didn't believe in Torah Shabbat. So therefore they said that this Pesach means totally different. Right? That's the idea. The Ramban says, based on the Gemara, that it can't be. What is Enoi of the Nefesh? I get if you would say Enoi of the Guth. It would be awesome. Yom Kippur would just be a whipping holiday. Everybody would take a whip and they just whip their friends, you know, and everybody would just get whips and start hitting other people on the skin, right? And everybody would be hurt and that would be it. That would be Inuy Aguf. But Inuy Nefesh, how do you afflict your soul? How does that happen? How could a person possibly afflict their soul? What would they do for that? So they say, well, Hadam Hua Nefesh, the blood is the Nefesh. The only way to afflict your soul is to minimize your blood. Meaning, if you take away your blood, that means you have an enoi of your nefesh. You've lost part of your nefesh. So how do you minimize your blood, right? You're not allowed to hurt yourself, so that can't be. So it must be by fasting, you don't have as much blood flowing through your system. I guess there's not enough going through. And therefore, that's the idea of v'nisam esnafshosechem. That's the idea behind it. But we learn from this. I mean, it's one of the most amazing things in the world that we have down as a nation, right? Ashkenazim, Sfardim, Misnagdim, Hasidim, Whoever we are, even the most reformed among us, still understand that you're supposed to fast on Yom Kippur. Try to find me a Jew who doesn't believe you're supposed to fast. Whether they do or they don't, that's a different story. I have cousins, I have relatives that are very, very far off. They all fast on Yom Kippur. They all fast on Yom Kippur. Whether they fast the night before, okay, whatever. That's another story. Whether they understand what they're doing, totally other story, right? But nonetheless, to fast on Yom Kippur, everyone knows that. That's not a shila to us. But that's the most amazing thing in the world. It's not written in a Pasuk. It's only from Torah Shabal Peh. It's from how Moshe Rabbeinu explained the Pasuk to us that we know what it is. And that's absolutely crazy. Claudius Yisrael's taken that upon themselves in the most serious way. There are very, very few examples of this. Tefillin is a good example. Tefillin. We all know what tefillin look like, right? Every single person knows what it looks like. But nowhere in the Torah does it say the word tefillin. It says totafos. Nowhere does it describe how to make tefillin. And yet everybody has the same one. We know that wasn't always true. The Gemara says, if you make your tefillah agula, that's a sakana, that's a Gemara Megillah, right? If you make it with gold instead of black, etc. We know that there, are, there, there were times where it wasn't there. But nowadays, the problem is that's not like fasting and Yom Kippur. Fasting and Yom Kippur, even the reform do. 
tefillin, nobody in reform does. If any, the only ones that do are the women, right? They're the ones who wear tefillin. Nobody else, nobody else puts that on. It's just something that's totally taken away from us. An estrog on sukkahs. Who, else, who uses any other thing? The Pusik says pre-eats hadar, right? A beautiful fruit, whatever, fruit. And that's that. But nobody uses anything else. There's nobody who gets out there and says, I'm not spending $150 on an estrog. I'm going to buy a pear. Right? Nobody does that. But I, I found out that, unfortunately, there are people that do it. The reform, reform people in a certain relative of mine, Temple, they go on social media and they take pictures of the most beautiful fruit they could find. And that's their fruit for, for Sukkot. That's what they do. They're pre-8s Hadar. Right? I guess at least they know the Pusik. <laughs> Can't get much further than that. But like, regardless. That, 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 so it's not exactly the same as that. And so to... Tzitzis, Moachas on Shabbos, things that we, do, like we all take for granted. It's like an obvious thing. And nonetheless, none of them are written how to make them, what to do exactly. It's all Torah Shabbat Peh. Yom Kippur is one that I think every cross-section of Kali Yisrael understands and does, which is absolutely amazing. That's an unbelievable thing. Now, the Orachai Makadosh says, one might think that the first part of the Parsha, right, which goes through all the parts of the Beis Mikdash and the Mishkan, what the Kwanim have to do, right, Maybe the idea behind it is what the quantum must do. That's the quantum's job. Enoi maybe only applies to the other people. The Kohanim and the Levim who work in the Mishkan, they don't have to fast because they have to work on this day. The Kohen Gadol especially. He has to work on this day. And all the other Kohanim and Levim are helping him. The Levim being guards and the Kohanim doing everything else that the Kohen Gadol can't finish. Like, for example, finishing off the Shechita and doing everything else with the animals, stripping off the skin, etc. Right? That was done by the other Kohanim. So maybe those guys don't have to fast. Maybe Inui is only a Chiyu for the rest of Klau Yisrael. Maybe that's what's true over here, which makes sense. Because I would think that the quantum would find it very hard to fast and do everything. Maybe that makes a lot of sense. So it might be that there's one part of the parsha, the beginning, which is all talking about what the quantum have to do, and that's the avoda of Yom Kippur, and the other part, which is v'inisem esnafshoseichem. Maybe that's why, says the Orachim HaKadosh, it says the word, lachem, v'hoisa lachem, for all of you, even the quantum among you, everyone's chayiv, even Moshe and Aaron, even them, they would all be involved. And it could go the other way around as well. You can imagine this, right? Maybe it's only the Kohanim that have to fast on Yom Kippur because they're doing the Avodah. But the Israelim, maybe they could stand on the side and have some snacks, you know, eating popcorn while they're watching the Kohen do all the Avodah, right, the Kohen Gadol. Maybe they're allowed to eat. That's the Kamash one. Not just you, not just the Kohanim. Everybody together, everybody's got to do this together. That's the idea. The Chafetz Chaim says it's an, ex- uh, sorry, it's an exclusion as well. It's excluding. It's only Klal Yisrael that deserves this gift of Slicha Kapara. Non-Jews don't get it. Non-Jews do not have this. Yom Kippur is not for them. It's for you. This is yours. This is your mitzvah. Don't share this. It's not about anybody else. It's yours, says the Chafetz Chaim. You have to be careful with that. Rav Hirsch explains that, that there really are two parts to our kapara. There are two parts to our kapara in Yom Kippur. The first is done by the Kohen Gadol with his avoda in the base of Mikdash. But at the same time, B'nai Yisrael have to do the Enoi. See, we think to ourselves, well, what do you think the Jews did in the times of the base of Mikdash? Like, now we sit and show all day long. What do you think they did in the times of the base of Mikdash? What do you mean, what do you, of course they were doing the same thing. They were davening the whole time. Just the difference is now we have a sitter. We have a machzer to be able to read out of. They did it all by heart. They were doing it all in their own minds. 
That's what they were doing because they knew psukim. They were able to say things. So that's what they did. They were all involved with stuff like that. The combination of the Enoi and the Avoda is what caused our Kapara. But clearly in this Dabiyas, you can do one without the other. Clearly, right? Because we don't have the Avoda anymore. And yet we still do the Enoi. That's why it's called in the beginning of the Pasuk, Chukas Olam. The Avoda will stop. You're not going to have the Mishkan or the Beis HaMikdash forever. But this is going to happen no matter what. Yes, we have a Shlech Tzibor representing the Kohen Gadol. That guy's going to do the Avoda of davening, etc. But there will be a time when there won't be a Kohen Gadol doing the Avoda and you still have to fast. And the Rabbeinu Ephraim says it's hinted within the Sofei Tevis of the words Bachodesh Hashvi Be'asor is Shin, Yud, and Resh referencing the word Shir that we should be singing as our davening on Yom Kippur, when we don't have the avoda, at least we have this. At least we have that. And Barbanel talks about this as well, the different parts around here and the different hanos. It's almost like there's one thing that's for our ruchnius, and that's going to be the avoda, and there's another thing for our gashmius, and that's the fasting. And you've got to do both. You have to do both. And that includes the five inuyim, by the way, not just fasting. But regardless, those ideas right behind there. The Orachayim HaKadosh says, this is a chiyuv that, as we said, is going to last forever. Maybe, maybe you'd think when you need to atone for your sins, you should fast. But if you didn't do anything wrong that year, maybe you don't have to fast. One time when I was in yeshiva, second year, uh, third year, my third year in yeshiva, there was a guy, was a massive tzaddik. This guy was a tzaddik. He literally spent no other time. Everything he did was in the base medrash. He davened, he learned in everything. And he came up to me because I was like the big, you know, third year guy. And everybody knows that if you're third year in Artisrol, you think you know more than every other Godel Ador ever. Came up to me and he said, what do I do Kapara for? Like, what do I get forgiven for? He, I'm like, I don't know, do you ever forget to say Asher Yatsar? He's like, Chas Shalom. <laughs> I'm like, you ever... I don't know, not concentrate when you're davening. And I, like, I knew that wasn't true. The guy like, spends like an hour on his davening. He was a nut, right? He was an absolute nut. And I was like, sitting there, I don't know. I thought of a lot of things afterward. I didn't think of anything at the time. I'm like, I, I don't know, what can you do? Maybe you think such a guy doesn't have to fast on Yom Kippur. Maybe that guy wouldn't have to do it. That's the Orchaim HaKadu says, Zechuk solom no matter what. Even if you can't think of a single sin that you've done, First of all, there's always something that you could think of. Always. I can guarantee you. There's something out there, right? How about Gaiva? <laughs> right there. That's a, that's a pretty good one. That's a, that's a really nice one, right? I mean, not me, but other people. Wouldn't you think that that would affect other people? But, but there's so many, so many things. I, Baruch Hashem, I'm able to sit in a base medrash a lot during the day. I'm able to, like, teach or whatever it is. There has never been a Yom Kippur where I've gone into it saying, what did I do? Usually it's more like, Man, again? <laughs> That's usually what happens. And I think we all understand that feeling. That feeling's a good feeling. We all understand we have something to get a kapara for, so I've never had this shaila. But the Orachai Makadush might have had this shaila. And therefore, he had to fast even though he was in that perfect level right over there. Now, um, there is a little bit more, and I don't want to go into all of this. The Mali Omer talks about this the idea of Lachem being Kulu Lachem and Kulu Lachem, but, but I'm not going to go into that right now. The Chsam Sofer in Torah's Moshe says the word Chok does not just mean law. It can also come from the word the Achlu Es Chukam. They ate their food, the food that was apportioned to them. Or Lechem Chuki Hatrifeni, that Chuki refers to the bread, the food that they were supposed to eat. And therefore, so too over here, Chok is something that could be your muzzon. 
Everybody has food, obviously. But in Yom Kippur, your food is more spiritual than physical. So it's almost like, this is your chok. Your chok is to not eat. Your chok is to not get involved with that. And that's the idea. Maybe that's why it's called the chok olam. Now, time it across is a really interesting line. He says the chok here is that even if a guy was megayer right before Yom Kippur, and we all know that if a ger becomes a ger, ger shenis geyer, if a ger becomes a ger, kikatan shenola dummy. What does that mean? He's like a little kid. He's like a little kid who was just born. Ger shenis geyer, kikatan shenola dummy. If he was megayer right before Yom Kippur, you'd think he doesn't have anything to do a kapara for. What did he do wrong? He's a Gershonist guy. He did absolutely nothing wrong. Maybe that guy doesn't have to fast in Yom Kippur. Again, we have another suggestion, right? Not just a guy who never sinned. Not just a guy who's not a Kohen. Not just the Kohen. But maybe there's a guy who did right over there, right? That's why it says, Hager Hagor Besochachem. That's what Time It Across says. Rav Chaim Knievsky says that even that gear would still have to do it. And Aksav Kabbalah says the same. What are you going to say, Ruben? I was going to say, uh, don't Kayim uh, also have laws? Yeah, but not the same. And they certainly don't have, like, once you're a gear, you lose everything. You're a brand new person. So once you start over, you don't have anything. And he didn't do anything within the hour before Yom Kippur. So what could he have possibly done wrong? What, what do you got? Along the same lines, so is that the only way that a boy can do tshuva? Is by being megayer? It's a question. It's a question. What you're asking is, is the mitzvah of tshuva applicable by, uh, applicable by, by a guy? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a question, it's a question. The Rambam seems to say that tshuva does not apply by going. So there is a Rambam that seems to say that, but whether it does or not, it's a little bit of a Shiloh. There's a famous Minchatzchanach on this also, if I remember correctly. But yeah, I don't know, it's a Shiloh, it's a Shiloh. But either way, a ger we know is something different because he's a Megayer himself. Now, Rav Schwab says, Amayim Beis he says that a ger is not literally a ger, a convert who came into Klau Yisrael as something totally different. It could be referring to a Balchuva, somebody who was involved in a Vodazara or something bad, whatever it was, or even a Tinok Shanishba, a guy who had no idea. You know, he grew up in a certain area, he had no clue what anything was, and he decided to do something better. He since separated themselves from it, they stayed away from those studios, and now they're considered tzaddikim. That's a ger amongst you, b'sochachem. It's not literally a ger, it's somebody who was megayer himself among you, among B'nai Yisrael itself. He says, that might be why in Kol Nidre, you ever notice these words? I've noticed it every year and I never had an answer for this. But my Yisrael answers it. You say in the very beginning, V'nislach l'chol adas b'nei Yisrael. And it says, V'lager hagor b'socham. You should forgive all of b'nei Yisrael and the gerim live among you. Why are the gerim separated? So I always thought that it referred to gerei toshavim, the goyim who take on the shavim, it says b'nei noach. I thought that's what it referred to, but I was like, that's also weird. Why are we including the Kerry Toshav? You should forgive them. I don't even know if that applies. But why separate the Kerry? Give them a Klau Yisrael, the part of Klau Yisrael. But here he says it's Tapshad. He's referring to Linslach Lecholadas Bnei Yisrael, as well as the Gerim, the Bali Tshuva, who brought themselves back, even though they did some horrible things in the past. Forgive them because now they're different people. And he suggests that that might also be the Pshat in Alat Tzadikim. We say Val Hatzedek. It might not be referring to Gerim, it might be referring to the people that are Bali Tshuva. And if you notice, the lines, Alat Tzadikim, Alat Chasidim, Alat Zikne Amcha there seems to be an order over there. So Gerei Tzedek Ve'alenu. Why are the Gerim coming before the rest of Klai? So you could say because they came from a faraway place, etc. But if Gerei Tzedek are Bali Tshuva, 
then it makes sense that Bali Tshuva are up there. Maybe not according to, you know, Rabbi Chiyabar Abba and Rabbi Yochanan, that Bali Tshuva are, you know, are standing in a place that other people can't stand. But at least according to this idea, it could be referring to that. So that's the Mayim Beis Shueva's idea. And that's possible that we're referring to over here as well. The Gerim that we refer to here, Gera Gor Besocham, is referring Besocham in this Pasuk. Right? Is reference to Bali Tshuva. Really good Bali Tshuva. Yeah, Dave. Yes, definitely. But I mean, there was always people doing tshuva. Just the con- that phrase is not there. But a person doing tshuva would be that bal tshuva. I don't know why. No, 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 no. The concept it probably existed exactly in the Torah itself. Yeah, I mean, once you have ego azov, you already have bal tshuva. No, 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 the phrase, I agree, I agree, yeah, yeah, that that for sure. So it could be that the word gear was used, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant the concept of, of Bali Chuba altogether. Now, the Oznayim Torah says, it makes sense. Why is Yom Kippur the day for a slich of a kapara? Why was that chosen as the day? What happened on Yom Kippur? In the very, on the very first Yom Kippur. First Yom Kippur that they were in the Midbar, right? They came out of Mitzrayim. What happened on that day? No, before that. No, that was Mimachoras Yom Kippurim. That was the day after Yom Kippur. On the day of Yom Kippur, they received the second Luchos. That's when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain, either the second or third time, depending if he went up 40, ta- 40 days, three times in a row, which is likely, that's what the Gemara says. Right? But he brought down the second Luchos on that day. He showed that Hashem was Mechaper for the Chet Ha'ego. Maybe that's why we say constantly during the Yid Gimel Midas Arachamim throughout the Aseret Mitzvah, because Moshe Rabbeinu was taught the Yid Gimel Midas Arachamim during those days that he was up on the mountain, that he was up there for those forty days, and he was taught exactly that during that time itself. Maybe that's why we do the Yid Gimel Midas Arachamim, Hashem Hashem Korachamim, and over and over and over again. Because that's what was going on during that time. Maybe that's it. That's when Hashem wrapped himself up in a talus and showed Kla Yisrael how to be able to do it, etc. That's the idea. There are quite a few minhagin that we do on Yom Kippur that seem to be dealing with that very first Yom Kippur. So he talks about the Oznayim, the Torah, and other places. But that's an interesting one. That's a real interesting one. And therefore, because we got the Luchos, we became Bali Tshuva. We got forgiven for what we did with the Ego Azov. That's why it's a day of Slicha the Kapara from then on. Now we know he's Takobo Reiso Bareyama. Hashem looked at the Torah and then created the world. So obviously the Torah's idea that Yom Kippur was a day of Slicha the Kapara was already there before we did the Ego Azov. But the truth is, it's not exactly written in the Torah that it's a day of Slicha the Kapara. You know that, right? I mean, we know that it's a day of atonement, but it doesn't call it that in the Torah. It's just Yom Kippur. So it could be that that did come a little bit later. The Mashiach says something crazy. And I, I knew this, but I never, never put the two together. He says there are crazy amounts of Shefa and Bracha coming down from Shemayim on the day of Yom Kippur. They're coming down from Shemayim. It's pouring down because that's the day that the Hasima of our judgment is happening. So anything good that's going to happen to us is sealed on that day. That's the day that we have over there. So it makes sense for us to afflict ourselves by fasting so that we're not bothered by all the needs of our day. If we would be working and eating and doing everything else, we wouldn't be able to concentrate on the great things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu could give us. But because we're, not, we're fasting, we're not eating, we're not drinking, we're sitting there in show all day long, we're able to literally open up our hands and take in that shefa, that bracha that's coming from above, as if it's being poured down into us. That's the idea behind it. It's like automatic shefa that we're able to have. I think that's a great idea over there. Now, the Shachalot Torah says, 
Adam Arishon was created in Tishrei with the intention that he was going to be a Malach. Right? Originally, he was not supposed to be a regular human being. He had to you know, watch and work inside Gan Eden. But that was it. That's all it was. When he sinned and he entered our world, HaKadosh Baruch who said, this is how the Shach puts it, I want one day where mankind goes back to their original state when they're like Malachim. I want one day like that, where they wear all white, and they're standing most of the day, and they're serving me without having to worry about anything else. One day a year, I want it like that. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said. For some reason, he didn't do it with all of mankind. He only did it with Bnei Yisrael. We were the only ones chosen to do it, but that was the intention that was used to be fulfilled. It's similar to Rav Edi Baravin. Remember Rav Edi, not Rav Edi Baravin, Rav Edi, who used to travel three months and then he spent one day in yeshiva, and then he spent another three months going back. He was called Barbe Rav Dechad Yuma. So they made fun of him. They were like, you traveled for six months for one day of yeshiva? And Rava told them, don't make fun of him. He's going to punish all of you. He's like, that one day he's able to accomplish what nobody else is able to accomplish. There's some great things over here. One day a year has the ability to represent the entire year. The Miraglim, how many days did they spend spying out Eretz Yisrael? Forty days. How many years were they punished for? 40 years. It's one day meant one year of punishment. That's huge. That's a huge concept. That one day equals one year. That's the concept behind it. We see it all over the place. That idea of one thing, one day has the ability to do anything. Says the Shachla Torah, that one day a year where we act like Malachim is the purpose of the entire world. It's the purpose of having an entire year. It's all for us being around right there. And in the future, it's all going to be Olahaba. There won't be any Inui, but it'll be automatic. We're not going to think about anything else. We're not going to eat. We're not going to drink. We're not going to wear the leather shoes. It's because our world is going to be different. It's going to be a totally different world. It's going to be something we'll want to do, etc. In that way, that's the idea behind it. Rabbeinu Yosef Nechamia, this is the um, uh, grand nephew of the Chassam Sofer. He says, we all know, things that are really big that we have to accomplish that are like big in this world. You know, we consider them like work. Chazal tell us in Yuma, it's in Pei Beis that if a pregnant woman feels like she has to eat on Yom Kippur. What are you supposed to do? She's pregnant. She feels like she has to eat. You got to whisper in her ear, it's Yom Kippur. And hopefully that stops her. Hopefully that stops her. If not, and she has to eat anyway, then you're allowed to feed her. That's that. But you have to whisper in her ear that it's Yom Kippur. Clearly, just the knowledge that it's a special day can stop you from having certain taivas and makes the tainas a little bit easier to handle. The more you understand how special this day is, the less it is. The, the, I guess the easier it is for you to go through it and to be fasting. That's why it says, the Esor Lachodesh Ta'anu Nafshosechem. On the 10th of the month, afflict yourselves. Do this and fast. And then he suggests, V'chol Malach Sasu. But don't let it be work. Don't let it be something hard for you. How do we not make it hard for us? By understanding this is a day when you're getting a kapara. That'll make it easier for you. And I'm telling you, as I've gotten older, I appreciate Yom Kippur more and more and more. It used to be that almost like a dread where you're sitting there and you're like, I'm going to be in shul all day and I'm going to be fasting all day. And it's a dread, you know, like there is. It's a little bit of like, I, I'll do it, it'll be fine, but whatever. But now I've come to like actually appreciate what Yom Kippur is all about. It's taken me a while, right? But it, I, I've actually gone into it and said, this is awesome. It's a, it's a great day. Once you get that, it's a kapara day. The whole day becomes easy. You're not worried about fasting. It's part of the day. And yes, we all know, an hour after you finish your Sudamaf Sekes, you're starving. 
You're starving. You're absolutely starving. You might not be thirsty till midday of the day, right? But you're starving immediately afterward. It's fine. You, you start thinking about like, yeah, but you know, that, I still have other things to do. Get to go to sleep early that night. There's nothing else to do, right? I mean, aside from learning all night long like Mati does, right? That, that, aside from that, you know, you know, it used to be that way, that everybody stayed up all Yom Kippur night long, and then they would get up for Vasikin, get up. They would be up for Vasikin. They rested for about an hour or two, and then they went right back to Minchanila. That's basically what Tells does. But, like, it, it, they, I, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. I can actually see people doing it. I won't, because I tried it once, and I almost died. But I, I, I can see people going ahead and doing such a thing. Yeah, I totally forgot. They... they, they the lights were on timers, automatic timers, and it went off at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't know what to do with myself. It was already 3. I was afraid of not waking up the next morning. Epsukadism or the next morning was, oh, horrid. <laughs> yeah, this is the worst Enoid that I've ever given myself in my life. Oh, aside from the fact that when I tried staying up two days of Shavuot straight after not sleeping the day before, that was, that was just as hard. Rabbi Yudha Saad says there are two ways for a person to be atoned for a person's sins. But I, I, I guess we can go through this. I don't know if I have time, though. Uh... I'm, I'm skipping it. Ravida Sad, it's in the Maria Sad. You can look it up yourself. Ramosh Feinstein points out that this Parsha is different from every other Parsha in the Torah. You know why? I'm going to think about it. By every other Parsha in the Torah, it tells you the date. It tells you it's the, uh, let's just say, the 15th of Tishrei, and here's what you got to do. The 15th of Nisan, here's what you got to do. Even in Parsha Zemmor, the 10th of Tishrei, here's what you got to do. In this Parsha, look in the very beginning of the Parsha. Not one mention of when it happens. Achrei mos shnei b'nei Aaron. Right? And then it says, right, eventually, not one mention of when it takes place. It starts, the parak starts in parak tesdain pasachavalov. It takes the parsha until pasachavtes, 29 psukim, to tell you that it's taking place in Yom Kippur. You know what the Vilna Gon learns from that? Simple idea. Vilna Gon learns from that? That if Aaron wants to go in at any point to the Kodesh Kedashim, he just has to do this avoda and he's allowed to go in. It doesn't have to be on Yom Kippur. It could be any day that he wants to go in. He just does this avoda and then he can go inside. And it makes sense. The Psukim don't mention one thing about Yom Kippur until Pasuk Haftes when it tells you to be Ma'ana yourself. It doesn't even compare it to the avoda beforehand. When is this avoda supposed to take place? It doesn't say anything. And we only know it from the end. Says Ramosha Feinstein, what in the world is going on over here? Why does it say it this way? Especially according to Rashi, who says clearly that it's only on Yom Kippur that the Kohen Gadol is allowed to do this avoda. Not in any other day. Not like the Vilna Gon. So what's Pshat? What's in the world? What in the world? Why does it say only at the very, very end? Here's the Pshat, he says. The real Kapara occurs, according to Ramosha, when the Kohen Gadol enters the Kodesh HaKadoshim by himself. The avoda is the hechitimtza, the preparation to allow that to happen. But the real avoda, the real kapara, the real everything, is when the Kohen Gadol goes inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim on his own. It's almost like a father who wants to see his child so badly, he does whatever he can in order to get him to come inside. That shows the power of an ish shalim. And that's the whole point of this parsha of Akhrei Moshe Neben Aaron. Look, at the beginning it says, two people died trying to get close to Hashem. If you want to get close to Hashem, you have to be super careful. 
but Hashem wants it so badly. He wants you to be that guy that walks in and sees him. He wants it. It just takes a while to get there. Says Ramosha Feinstein, it's not about Yom Kippur. It's not about Yom Kippur. It's done on Yom Kippur, but it's about HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanting so badly to be a part of it with us, for us to be connected to him. That's the idea behind it. And, and in connection to that, there's a great story on Yom Kippur. Rabbi Avram of Sukhachev, this is the Avne Nezer, right? The father of the Shemi Shmuel. He was five years old, Avne Nezer, five years old. His father sent him home to break his fast on Yom Kippur. After he came back, his father asked him, did you make Kiddush? So Avne Nezer said, no. So his father asked him, why not? He's five years old at the time. So he said, I thought about it, and I decided I didn't need to make Kiddush. The whole reason why a kid has to make Kiddush on Shabbos is for Chinuch, so that he understands that eventually, when he, needs, you know, when he gets older, he has to make Kiddush before eating. That's the whole reason why a kid does anything, right? Anybody under the age of 13 is for Chinuch for when they become 13. He said, when I become 13... I'm never going to make Kiddush on Yom Kippur. There, I'll never have to do it because I'll be fasting the whole time. So what kind of chinuch is there for me as a five-year-old to make Kiddush before I eat if I'm never going to need to make Kiddush when I become old enough to fast on Yom Kippur? He said, is that cr- crazy brilliant? He said, like, it's never going to happen. There's no point to it. So he said, so I shouldn't make Kiddush. I should just eat because there's no chiyuv chinuch on such a case. In such a case over here. So it, it, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. So obviously he said right over here, I, I, I'm sure like his father slapped him in the face and said, go make Kiddush. Right, I'm sure. I, I'm not even so sure what the halacha is, by the way. I wanted to check it up after and I forgot. Does a kid make Kiddush before they eat on Yom Kippur? My assumption is yes, because Yom Kippur is like a Shabbos Sash Yom Tif. So my assumption is they would have to, to get them used to every Shabbos and every Yom Tif, even though on Yom Kippur itself they would never make Kiddush. Or maybe, I mean, there are some people that have to eat on Yom Kippur. Right? And those people who have to eat have to make Kiddush. So there is a concept of Chinuch that they might need in the future if they ever need to eat on Yom Kippur. Maybe there is something like that. I have absolutely no idea. But the point is, sometimes there are some people who want to get so close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and they'll do anything to get there. They'll do anything to get to that level. This is an example of the Avni Nezer willing to put himself over there. So we have our Inuyim. We have all that. We have our ability to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu by not doing something, by taking ourselves away. Almost, as we said before, from, from the idea of from, from the different Rabbanim, we have this concept of almost like grabbing the Shefa out of the sky and keeping it for ourselves, because it's there. And we just have to keep our minds off everything else and concentrate on what Yom Kippur is all about. And if we do that, it becomes a completely different day. Not a day that you dread going into. Not a day that I'm sitting there saying, I'm starving, I really want something to eat. But a day in which I recognize what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan for me in this world, and that I really am. I'm doing the job of the world, being a malach for one day in this world. Maybe that's the idea behind it. All right, guys, have a great Shabbos.